unstoppable kick-ass confidence. Are you ready? Welcome to the Raw and Unscripted Show with Christopher Roush, where we help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. Now please welcome our host, Christopher Roush. And please welcome Christopher Roush. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of most ages? Hey, by the way, we cuss on the show. It is Christopher Roush, your host of the Raw and Scripted Show. Proud to be here with you guys tonight. You're at your place where I help you overcome your self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. Gun, whether you guys are watching us live on the video cast or on the replay of the video cast, or you're listening to us on the audio podcast, thank you guys so much for being here. Appreciate you guys so much. You guys are my misfits for life. And as always, I just want to let you know that this show is brought to you by... The folks at helphealhumanity.org, helphealhumanity.org for you guys listening to that. It's an amazing, phenomenal organization that I've been a part of for the last couple of years on the board of directors. And the reason why I got involved with this particular organization is because all of the money that is raised goes directly to the causes that we're raising the money for. So nothing goes to anybody. We don't, none of us take a salary, not in the CEO, the president, nobody takes a salary. It's all based on the desire for us to help heal humanity, whether it's building schools in Haiti, in Cambodia, whether it's uh, feeding the homeless in Canada or here in the United States, whatever it is we can possibly do, we're out there doing it. And so when you get value out of this particular episode, we don't charge, we don't do any advertisers and things of that nature. It's all about good word of faith about the fact that we can get out there and we can make a difference in people's lives. So when you get a difference, a shift in your mind with this particular episode, we'd encourage you going over there and pay it forward to helphealhumanity.org. And whatever it's five bucks, 10 bucks, 25 bucks, if you want to sponsor a child like my wife and I do, that would be phenomenal. And ultimately, if you spend, if you donate $200 or more, of course, it's tax deductible. You get an hour of my time for coaching. So we're at the beginning of the year, 200 bucks, you get a tax deductible donation. You help feed hungry kids in Haiti. You send them to school and you get an hour of my time. There's no better deal, ladies and gentlemen. So thank you for that. just want to let you guys know that helphealhumanity.org. And uh, thank you guys for that. We've already got some beautiful people in the house. We got my brother Walt in the house. He says, what's up, brother? What's up, Mr. McKinley? Thank you for joining us from Arizona. We got Debbie in the house. She goes, hello, Christopher. Hello, Debbie. I was just on Debbie's show and she was a fantastic host. Um, we got Allison, home organizer, moving specialist. What's up, Allison? Appreciate you joining us over here from uh, YouTube. We got Stephanie McKinley over here. She says, hey, hey, what's up, Stephanie? Walter and Stephanie are going to start their new podcast uh, here pretty, swick, pretty quickly, a husband and wife team. So we're going to want to definitely check that out. Uh, we got Patricia Geigick in the house. She says, hello, Christopher. Hello, beautiful. I appreciate you being here. My amazing mentor from uh, from up in Canada. Another Fanella Canadian. We got Tara Murney in the house. She says, good evening. Thank you, Tara, for joining us. I love you. She says, hello, Steph. Ah, see so you guys know each other. Hello, Tara. You guys are just making your introductions. And then uh, she says here, Musfits for life. Come on, Tara. We are misfits for life. Misfits for life. Yes, we are. That's what this is all about. The misfits for life community, because all together we fly our freak flag and we just have a good time doing it. So thank you guys for joining us here on the Ron and scripted show. And I'm just going to jump right into it. I've got a phenomenal guest tonight. I had the opportunity to meet this gentleman while doing a panel discussion on Kim Summers, Iglesi show. And I was sitting there was, you know, looking at the other speakers. I think there was three other speakers besides myself and just really enjoying the conversation. And I kept seeing this name and I kept looking at this name and you ever look at a name and go, Hmm. And then you look at the face you're like that person looks kind of familiar i kind of know where is that and then all of a sudden it pops into your brain and you realize that there's somebody famous right isn't that pretty amazing so when i was sitting there listening to this gentleman talk i was really blown away at his articulation at his uh vulnerability at his uh way to really articulate his words in such a way um, to make people think about their past, present, and their future. And that's one thing we're going to definitely be talking here on the show tonight is how we can re rewire our past, how we can step away from maybe former things that were thought about us in different situations we were in to really embrace who we are. You know, when we grow up, you know, our parents are saying, you should be a doctor, you should be a lawyer, you should be this. But at the end of the day, who do we want to be? Who do we want to be and what makes us happy? You guys know I've referred to uh, the book here on the show so many times, The Five Regrets of the Dying. The number one regret of the dying, in case you haven't heard this before, is that they lived the life they thought they were supposed to live and they didn't get the chance to live the life they wanted to live. So in that, we are going to invite Mr. Randy Spelling here on to the Raw and Scripture Show. What's going on, Randy Spelling? How are you, sir? Hey, Christopher. I'm good. How are you? I'm amped. I'm pumped up. And I just want to also, I've watched an interview with you before and I love the cigar box guitar that you got behind yourself. Of oh, course. thank you. I'm a guitar guy. Thank you. Yes. Yes. I'll go over sometimes when I'm on the phone, normally zoom these days and just pluck it once in a while, pluck a yeah. couple of strings. <laughs> That's nice. I actually started plucking strings myself. I actually, um, I've been, I've have 
what 12 guitars all around my house hanging up like as art and admittedly i have a a tattoo of a guitar on my arm and i suck at it and so i get to a point where i play for a while then i get frustrated then i don't play for a few years and i'm like okay what kind of example am i setting for my son if i'm not playing my guitar when i'm telling him that he should be practicing the things that he likes to do so um yeah so i definitely well i'll show you a picture of a cigar cigar guitar i have outside of my office uh oh yeah oh but love to see it yeah definitely uh oh my my friend tara's in there saying lfg you know what lfg stands for i don't what does that mean let's fucking go i've got some amazing people here i got uh, mary Kay in the house so i'm just gonna hit it off you know obviously you're randy spelling of the spelling empire aaron spelling was your father tori spelling is your sister i just want to call that out and what i want to talk about most is not necessarily that but growing up in that type of environment growing up in that 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 famous celebrity type environment beverly hills california 90210 all those different things how did you become the Randy Spelling that you are today, having grown up in that type of environment? Talk to us about that transition and what that might have been like for you. Sure. I mean, I, I think there's parts of who I am today that um, were just nature. It's just part of who I am, part of my mission here, you know, what I'm what I'm here to do. The other things, squeezing, pressure, challenge. Um, you know, it's sometimes knocking on death's door. I mean, all these things that we all go through in life that shape us and form us. And then you walk by and you go, oh, that, that rock. Wow. There's something about that rock, but you know what it took for that rock to get in its state for people to admire, um, is, is a lot. And mine, (laughs) there is some definitely rougher, not pretty parts. Yeah, I can imagine that. So talk to us about what was like that lowest period of your life where you were in, in in the midst of all that? I know you were on a couple of television shows. What was it for you where you kind of looked up and said, wow, this is not the Randy that I want to be. This is, I don't want to be in this particular environment. I want to move up to Portland, Oregon. You know, what was that for you, that shift that, that you decided that you didn't want to any longer be a part of that, that type of environment? Yep. I, so I, Portland was way out of the realm of consciousness back then. I remember I was at a nightclub with a friend of mine who I would frequently go out with and, uh, you know, drink and party with. And I remember we were in the VIP lounge and we were just sitting there and, you know, we did this all the time. And I just remember saying this to him. I said, what, what, what's going to happen in, in two years, three years, five years, are we going to be doing this? (laughs) And it was that, striking idea of, wow, this is vacuous. This is lonely. This was fun for a while, but the way that I'm feeling now, if this is it, I don't want this. I don't want my life to be this, but I had no clue how to get out of this or how to, you know, what, what else existed outside of what I was doing at that time. Mm-hmm. I can totally understand that. And some people want from the outside looking at it. I love, I think it was a Jim Carrey quote. I just heard it again, iterated the other day. He said something to the effect. It goes, I wish everybody could achieve their dreams and, and get famous and wealthy to realize that it's not all what it's cracked up to be. And yeah. I've interviewed you know, famous people. I've met rock stars and, and actors and stuff like that and, uh, and, and millionaires and billionaires in my life. And that's one of the common denominators is that people say, Chris, I thought that by achieving the fame and the fortune, it was going to solve all my problems. As a matter of fact, Matthew Perry in his book that he just recently did talked about that. He goes, I prayed to God to give me the best role on television and I got the role friends. And he goes, and then what happened? And then he got addicted to Vicodin and all that stuff. And we kind of know that story. So it's not all cracked up to what, what it is. Talk to us about that, you know, that opportunity to talk to your friends and talk to your family about sitting there saying, Hey, listen, you guys, this is all for you, but this isn't for me. What would, what did that sound like? And what age were you when that, when that kind of conversation came to you, came about that you didn't want to continue that, that way of living anymore? Yeah, that wasn't a conversation that I had with the people around me for a while. I mean, I had to really, I had to come face to face with, you know, almost dying a handful of times. Um, even just thinking about this, I mean, I was thinking, uh, when is the right time to talk to my daughters about this? And what was it really like? And how much detail do I go into with all of these stories? And as I started to think back about some of these things, and I'm sure you can relate to this in your story, it kind of seems like a different life. Yep, this was 100%. a movie that I lived a while ago because my life looks so different now. And, you know, to get to that place inside of myself to say, 
I don't want to, I mean, first it was cleaning up my act. It was, it was, you know, stopping drinking and drugs. And then from there, it was really just removing the distraction to yeah. then go, okay, this is the world, Randy, meet the world as it is. And this is you as you are. And I don't know, you know, if you can relate or you've heard this, but I've seen this with clients throughout the years. I used to work with a lot of people with addictions now, not as much anymore. Um, but Hey, we're all, we're all addicted to something, right? Whether it's, Oh, I've had my, I've had my challenges. Or, um, and one of the, the common things I saw was whatever age someone started using a substance, let's say, and using that to uh, numb or using it as a crutch, whatever the reasons were that they used those things, they got stunted. Emotionally, they got stunted at that age. And that's where typical growth stopped. So when I stopped the distractions and removed that, I felt as though I was 13 again. Mm, and whether it was relationships, sleeping with women, all of it, I felt like I was a little boy you know, and, and not knowing how to navigate this world. So I had to learn how, you know, what, what is fun without this? What do I do in my spare time? Who am I? How do I want to show up in the world? When I started answering some of those questions, I didn't have all those answers, but when I could start answering some, where that led me was, I don't really want to be in showbiz in the way that I was in. I needed yeah. growth. I needed evolution. And that no longer was working for the person who I wanted to become. But I didn't know what I wanted to become. So that was so scary to understand that and then go, oh, but but what do I do? Right. <laughs> what, what does that mean? And someone suggested life coaching. And uh, I, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll research that. And through my research, I thought, wow, that checks a lot of boxes. I don't know if I want to do that for a career. I mean, am I really going to transition from entertainment business to, to life coaching? But something about that idea of helping to guide people and how I saw it was guiding people back to themselves, but themselves in a, in a way that they didn't know. They didn't yeah. know existed, but that self that was there that can emerge that I, I thought that sounded good. So I went through this training. And then after that, that's when through the training, I finally felt the courage enough to, to make this announcement. I'm going to be a life coach. I remember <laughs> telling certain people and my voice was shaking. I was literally shaking inside going, I'm going to be a life coach. I have no idea why, like who cares, but how old I, were you at that time, Randy? How old was I? Yeah. I think I was 27. Okay. Yeah. Good. 27. Wow. And so how did that go over when you, when you, we were telling people this, you're sitting there in the entertainment industry and you, you have basically all that you want for, and now you're sitting there saying, Hey, listen, guys, I want to go a complete opposite direction. I want to go this direction. Did your family support you? Did, did your friends in, in those places support you? Or did they kind of try to knock you down and tell you to come back to reality? No one said come back to reality. Uh, everyone was supportive. I okay. think there was probably a moment, although this wasn't said, there was a moment of what? <laughs> but <laughs> what's a life coach? <laughs> I don't think that it was that much of a surprise because I was always the one. I mean, when I was 17, I started to read all these self help books and these different spiritual books. I got into metaphysics. Um, so I was always the one in my friend group who was reading these out there things and, you know, having these sessions with people that they didn't even understand. So yeah. it wasn't that far of a stretch. It was just the reality then of, okay, wow, he's really gonna do this. I'm sure some people thought, yeah, let's see what happens. Let's see how <laughs> far, how long this lasts. Uh, no, that's, that's similar to the situation that I was in. I sat there and I thought about it and, uh, I'm on my lowest point. Somebody handed me a, a, a box of cassette tapes and I was totally into music. I've always been into music my entire life. And this box of cassette tapes said Tony Robbins, or it said Anthony Robbins on it. And I asked the guy, it was, I was living in the sleazy trashy motel with my mom or we collecting cans. And I was working three jobs as a telemarketer. And I said, what are these? And he goes, he goes, listen to these tapes. 
And I said, what band is it? And he goes, no, it's not a band. It's somebody talking. They're going to, they're going to teach you things. And I was probably about 15, 16 at the time doing drugs, drinking, alcohol, smoking, doing bad things. Also, I mean, either going to wind up dead or in jail. One of those two things. And so I popped the cassette tape in my 1973 Ford Maverick with the cassette tape was held on with a, with a center console thing. It was like totally just ghetto. And so I popped this in and I hear this, oh, this is Anthony Robbins. Da, da, da. And I started listening to it, Randy. And that was the first time that I ever heard anybody talking positive and giving opportunity for us to change our mindset and change our surroundings and change our situations. Because up until that point, I had a mother. I never knew my biological father my mother would tell me what to do and what to say and what to feel. And if I tried to do anything outside of that, she would whip me, beat me, kick my ass or anything else. So here I am 15 years old. I've been homeless for two years. I dropped out in the seventh grade and I'm starting to listen to this guy. Give me the opportunity to see things from a different perspective. And from that point I was hooked. And, and this next question I have for you, um, what was one of those books that you read that really got you to think like, wow, I can do this or I'm seeing things from a different perspective. And I'll share with you for me, it actually was Tony Robbins again. And it was much later in life when I ran, I read the book, Awaken the Giant Within. In there, he talks about the fact that we're responsible for our own decisions. We're responsible for seeking out our big why and everything else. And so oftentimes I was resentful towards my mom. I was resentful towards society, my biological father. But in that book, it, it basically told me I need to take responsibility for myself. If I'm going to be successful in this life, I have to go forth and do what's best for me and not what's best for everybody else. So what was that book for you that kind of just really turned the lights on and said, wow, I can really do this? Yeah, it's there. There, I feel like there is so many. One of them that comes to mind um, is The Alchemist. Yeah, I read that. Especially the the story of The Alchemist, because for whatever reason, right? I've seen superhero movies. I've seen all of these fantastic pieces of entertainment. But when I read The Alchemist, it was just the right combination of life events where I was at, spirituality. And this, uh, this idea that not only are you the hero of your own story, yep. but it's being written event by event, circumstance by circumstance, thought by thought, and everything that comes along might be something that plays a role. And there was just something about that idea that when I, when I looked at life in that way, I started to see myself differently and I started to see possibilities open up. Yeah. And that made a big difference. Mm. What did your friends say about this when you started looking at this personal development stuff and they're often doing drugs and partying and everything else. And you're trying to get your life serious and try to take yourself serious and figure out where it is that you really want to fit in. What were your friends saying about this? Cause I know a lot of times that peer pressure, I know my friends, when I decided to go back to school, I thought my friends were going to support me. Like, all right, Chris, that's cool. Instead of doing eight balls of Coke off of, you know, mirrors that said cocaine kills, which is something I did. You know, I thought my friends were going to support me. And then they were like, oh, you're going to be Mr. Smarty Pants. And they tried to drag me down. And I didn't realize it at the time. It was because they were, they felt like, okay, if this guy makes something of his life, and what does that mean about me? Did you get any kind of that feedback or were your friends supportive and you, were you, as you were going down that new road? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get as much uh, pushback because I was, when I was reading a lot of those books, I was young. So I was kind of reading these books during the week and then we would go out on the weekends. Um, so I was kind of uh, straddling both worlds, if you will. Yeah. But then when I was 27, I, I again, I was, I was 26, 27, I was 26 when I stopped. Um, I was, I was 26, 27. So a lot of my friends had jobs the the people that were hanging around me and I was hanging around who weren't real friends, it was pretty easy to just let that go and walk away from because, you know, you remove the one common thing that you had, then there's nothing in common. Right. So um, it, it was actually easier to walk away, but still had to make the decision of this is the direction that I'm going in. I'm no longer going to go to clubs and bars because I didn't really see a reason why I was doing that anymore. And what was once my, my norm and how I lived my life, you know, I went a couple times and I started to look at things and see everything so differently and I'm watching people and what they're doing and everyone's just drinking and throwing these back. And I just thought, you know, hearing the conversations and the quality of conversations, realizing 
half these people may not even remember <laughs> what they're saying. And because I lived that for so long, it was this eye-opening experience where I thought, okay, I see it clearly now. I've lived it. I've done it. I'm, I'm, I could get an Oscar for that role. I'm done. I'm just done. So mm -hmm. bring it on. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I mean, you got to a point where you had enough and that was the same thing for me. And I teach people and you teach people this as well, because we're both coaches is when you find a big enough, why you have a big enough, how, and one of the things that I've found, especially in the last, since the pandemic, one of the things that I did, Randy, to pay it forward, I'm always about paying it forward. You know, I've got a great life. I'm very blessed. So I, I think I could take my special gift, which is coaching people, getting them to change their perspectives and their, their expect expectations is that I just started giving away coaching, uh, an hour of coaching with me. So I called it pay it forward coaching. Like I'll give you an hour of coaching and you go do something nice for somebody else. And together through this pandemic, we can make the world a little better, a little bit better place. And the one thing I started seeing Randy, as I was talking to these individuals who were coming to me and I've got this problem, I got this issue and I got this issue. I heard this little whisper and I'm not a very religious person. I'm a very spiritual person. Now I've grown that way over the, over time. I've got a lot of beautiful people in my life who've taught me about spirituality and chakras and all this different stuff. Um, but ultimately I heard this little whisper and it says, ask them, do they love themselves? Yes or no. And I thought, Oh, that's a strange question. Like, of course everybody loves themselves. Right. You know? And I started thinking about it for myself. I'm like, did I love myself back then? So ultimately I found out that, you know, through this process, I never love and care about myself because I was always, you know, trying to get the affection and the significance from my mom. And then ultimately when that gun was put to my head and I, and the guy didn't pull the trigger, I got to a point where I'm like, okay, I got three decisions. I mean, I got one decision, three different options. I can either get out of here in a pine box because I'm doing drugs and hanging around bad people. I can get out of here in the back of a patrol car because I was doing bad things and hanging around bad people. Or I could take responsibility for my life. And that third one was so scary because I thought about leaving my mother in that situation. I was 17 years old by the time. And that was so frightening to me. But I asked myself, do I love myself enough to be able to go and take this risk and to really, truly live my life? We even won the lottery, dude, while we were homeless. My mom won $5,000 on a scratcher. We were living in this dirt, cheesy motel in Anaheim, not too far from Disneyland. And blew out, she blew all the money. But ultimately, when I said I have to love myself and I have to go take these chances, my life exploded expansively opened up for myself. Were you in, did you ever get to that point where you're like, I really have to need to love myself. I have to really like myself and appreciate myself. Did that ever come across your periphery as you were, as you were expanding and becoming the Randy that you are today? I'm so happy that you're asking this question. You said that you would ask different questions and I'm I trying. That's, I, I, I so appreciate that about you. Thank um, you. okay. So let's dig into this a little bit. Yes. Love. This was a source of pain for me. And I, I see this in the self-help world and the spiritual world is you have this concept of self-love and loving yourself. And I get it. It is the Holy grail, right? However, when you start to look at, okay, I want to love myself. I want to love myself. But what does that actually mean? What's the reference point for that? Because so many people don't even have a reference point for love that they actually want. They crave a different kind of love or love came with pain or there's a skewed view of it. And that is then how we treat ourselves. We have negative self-talk. So I think, you know, you read these concepts of love yourself, love yourself, love yourself. I remember I had a therapist for uh, a few years who since I think has has passed away. He was a great guy. And he talked a lot about self-love and he talked a lot about unconditional love. And I remember just hearing this over and over, you know, you wanted unconditional love. You wanted unconditional love and you may not have gotten unconditional love. And I glommed onto this and I was like, yes, yeah, I didn't get loved unconditionally. And now I look at it and I, I, I kind of laugh thinking, but we are conditional being, we're human beings. So we're asking for something that is otherworldly and expecting that from people who don't have the capacity to do that. Amen. That's so out of alignment. So then you have people running around going, I just want to be loved unconditionally, which I totally get. But we we're not taught how to do that. We don't have people who do that in our lives. So we have to understand that love in a human form is fallible. It's not perfect. It does come with condition. And then from that baseline, 
then go, okay, I may not have a reference point for what self-love is. What do I imagine that to be? Yeah. What would I most want that to be? What does that look like? And to start to add, you know, just like these coaching questions, start to ask these questions to get an idea of what it feels like. Because I think most people are like, yes, I need to love myself. And then that thought goes out the window <laughs> two minutes later when they hit their default pattern, because that's not patterned or ingrained in them. In fact, yep. part of the source of trauma is the fact that they haven't had that love and they've wanted that love or they tried to get that in many different ways. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, it's it's based on the lens that you look through. I mean, I sit there and I teach my clients, you have two lenses that you can look through, the lens of fear or the lens of love. And most oftentimes in our work condition, through the process of conditioning, really that happens between the age of zero and five, we become the people that we're going to become based on all those influences that we've had, our parents and our teachers and our friends and our brothers and our sisters and extended family. You're this and you're this. You should be this. You should be like that. Don't do this. Don't do this. And by the time we're five years old, we're like, okay, and what do we do? Our reticular activation system says, okay, I'm going to look at this and this is what I'm going to find more evidence of. And then it's not until we get in our 20s, 30s, and sometimes for people in their 60s and 70s that go, oh, wait wait, that was the wrong example for me to follow. That was, I, right. was, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was falling in love with the fallacy of what I see on me, movies and TVs. We were just talking about this. We did a men's mental health um, roundtable last week and we were talking about the stereotypes that us guys are faced with when we're kids. You know, be a man, don't be a girl, you know, and all these different things. By the time we're at age six, we're like, okay, what the hell am I gonna do? And to your point, Randy, there's never any conversation in school or anywhere else that teaches us how to about, how to, about emotions, how to handle emotions, how to find our true identity. So what do we do? We run out and we seek significance from everybody else by doing stupid things, hoping, wishing, and praying that somehow we could fit in. And at the end of the day, we get to that point like you and I have, and many people who are watching and listening to this right now, we go, oh, is this really what I'm about? Is this really what's going to fulfill me? Is this the legacy that I truly want to leave? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just beautiful what you said. I just want to grab a couple of these comments. we got some amazing people in the house. Uh, I got Jock Rokas in the house. This is what you chase is often illusionary and not a reality. Absolutely. Got Walt in the house. Mr. Warrior says, yes, finding something bigger than you and your purpose. Don't be, don't be in comfortable pain and quiet desperation. Love you. Uh, love you made the choice to adjust Randy. I don't have my glasses on, so I'm trying to read. Um, uh, Debbie says here, greetings, Robert, for uh, always supporting everyone. Yes, he does a great job. Uh, Jacqueline in the house. She says, be authentic, be yourself, Randy. Don't let Hollywood change you to thine own self. Be true, 100%. Uh, my buddy Jock, he's one of my mentors. He says, you are the creator by divine law. And that means you create all of your reality, including all of your suffering. We often fail to recognize how powerful we are to create, but often create the negative discernment being the key. Spot on, spot on Jock. Tara Murney says, I literally just had an hour conversation about this. We are creator. How incredible is that? That's because we have all we have great minds. Um, let's see. Hello. Uh, ha, ha Christopher is the bestest. <laughs> You're a sweetheart. Um, Jock says great minds. Jock says most people can't love themselves because they do not know who they are. My thoughts only, of course, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Walt chimes in here and says, you have to love yourself before you can accept or even know what kind of love you want to receive big time. Um, Tara says here, 100% new name to my podcast. Who are you really? There you go. I like that. I like that. Um, let's see. Jock says here also self-love equals divine awareness. And uh, all you guys are just being amazing. We got Lynn Serrano in the house. She says, hello, Christopher Roush and Randy. Thank you guys for being here. Um, my next question to you is, is thinking about, you know, our self-talk. When I think about self-love, that's one aspect of it. But the, the language that we use on ourselves, talk to us about that. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? And how do you work with your clients to, sh to reshape our, the communication we have with ourselves? Mm. Yeah, the older I get, the more I fall in love with language. Yeah. I don't know if you can Powerful. relate, but oh yeah. I never knew the power of words until I started working with people and I started witnessing the words that people would use oftentimes against themselves and then we would you know look at the definition or the association that they have with that word. And if there is a negative connotation or association with that word, and they're continually using that word, then 
they're using that word against themselves. They're re-triggering things that they don't want to feel, but then trying to make headway using that same thing. So, you know, amazingly powerful. And um, I, I don't pretend to be a wordsmith, but I really like to slow down sometimes when people are talking in the right context, right? I can't do this in conversations with friends because it's so utterly annoying. To be Wait a minute, what do you mean that, by that word? Yeah, that I, do, word I do that sometimes. Just use, do you really want to use that word? to be like, Randy, you know, <laughs> but uh, keep your coaching to the side. I do that it, sometimes. It, oh, it, you've had that conversation is. too? Yeah. What was that? I said, you've had that conversation too where your friends have said, don't be a coach right now? I just know. I just I've had know. interventions about my positivity, dude. You're like, Chris, <laughs> just stop it. I don't even feel like I can tell you I'm having a bad day because you're like, you're having a bad day. What do you mean? There's people out there. And so literally my friends had an intervention like, just we want rock out Chris. We want drinking Chris. We don't want coach Chris right now because yeah. I was like, like that. But please yeah. continue. Hard to separate that, right? Yeah, yeah you just get passionate. Yeah. So I, I think self-talk is huge because you know you were listening to music right before we went on you see uh, fighters go out and uh, whether it's MMA or boxing, they're, they're getting themselves in a, in a state by the music that they're listening to. And we have these tapes or CDs or digital downloads, whatever What's you want to say that are constantly going in the background and then wondering why we're feeling the way that we're feeling in our life. And so examining the way that we talk to ourselves, I think is one of the biggest needle movers that you can do. <laughs> Dude, you just use one of the phrases that I use all the time. Needle movers. That's crazy. That's so crazy. Cause I talked to my clients about that. I like, picked it what's up, the, Chris. What's, what's the needle mover? We share a brain. I love what you're talking about as far as language goes. Cause when I sit there and I talk to my friend or I talk to my clients, I'm like, I talk to my friends too. But when I talk to my clients, I'm like the words and the language that you use on yourself, would you use that with the person that you love the most in the world? Of course they say no. And I said, why is it okay for you to use it on yourself? And then we get into that self-love aspect. And then I, there's a few words that I, that I suggest people eliminate from their dictionary. And two of those words are always and never. Because when you think about it, I always screw things up or I never get the right guy or I'm always making mistakes or I always screw up on, you know, all those are definitive statements. They're they're not generalizations. They're definitive statements that lock out the perspective and the opportunity for, for more expansion and more abundance. Are there words that you suggest to your clients to, to eliminate them from their vocabulary or use less of? Have to. Have to. I love that. You get to. 86. Have yeah. to. You get to or... I choose to. And I think, you know, kind of what Jock was saying is when you connect to I choose, you're connecting to awareness, you're connecting to consciousness, you're, you're then not recreating something or reacting to something in your life. You're actually sitting there and having a moment of conscious creation where you say, no, I'm choosing to do this. And you might have to uh, expand on that and say, I'm choosing to do this because, but then it allows you to actually sink in to the present moment and uh, have awareness in what you're doing as opposed to, oh, I have to get up. I have to go to work. I have to be here. I have to do this. And then people are mm -hmm. just in a way being dragged around by what they think they need to do in their lives. And really for the most part, everything is a choice you can choose not to do it and, you know, deal with the consequence, but it's right. usually a choice. Yeah, it really is. And I love what you're saying about that because the fact that when we give ourselves an opportunity to think a little bit differently about our past, present and future and shift our perspectives and our expectations, so much more abundance can really open up into our lives and come in there. I mean, both of you and I are, are living examples of that. And when I think about, you know, I said earlier about having a big enough why and you have a big enough how, for me, that opportunity really came. I was been very driven all my life. I mean, literally when I was 30 years old, I got my master's degree and bought my first house. I was successful in my corporate job, my zone of excellence, not my zone of genius. And I thought I had it all going on, but I still battled with alcohol. I still used alcohol to help me calm down. I used alcohol in social situations. It was the one thing that caused me from going as hyper as I am, as you can tell, to being like, oh, wow. And Matthew Perry talked about it. He goes, when I first had my first drink of alcohol, I'm like, he said, um, this is how must, how, this is how normal people must feel. And so for me, it was always like that. 
but I used it and just like as a, as a tool in such, such a way. But back in 2008, I went to a funeral for one of my coworkers and I sat in the back of the church as I normally do sit in the back. And I was watching person after person up there eulogizing um, this lady that I worked with that I didn't realize the impact that she had in other places just besides our workplace. I mean, I worked with her and I knew her, but I wasn't like buddies with her or anything. And I thought to myself, Randy, I sat there and I went, hmm, if I died tomorrow, who would show up and what would they say? And I was in my early 30s and I sat there and I thought about it. It didn't take me very long to think about it. I'm like, 10 or 15 people are going to show up. They're going to bring cases of Miller Genuine Draft, bottles of Jack Daniels, Motley Crue and Bon Jovi records. And guess what? They're going to talk about all the stupid shit Chris did. Remember that time he fucked up and did that? Remember that time he got drunk and got lost? Remember that time he hit on that girl? Remember that time he fell off? Remember that time he passed out? Oh, yeah. Like the little footnote would be, oh, yeah, he was a homeless kid that had all the odds against him and he came back and, and changed the world. You know, and I was like, do I really want to be remembered that way? And that's the way I was kind of living. I wasn't really putting my emphasis on my why. And so what I did is Randy, as I drove home and it was bugging me, it was like one of those things that just kept nagging at me. And so I got home and I was like, it was like three 30 in the afternoon. I still remember it vividly. I took out my pen and paper and I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to write my eulogy. And I was like, all right, I'm already, a, I'm already a professional speaker. So I've already tackled one of the biggest fears. So let's talk about death. And so I sat down, pen to paper. I didn't even do it on my computer, pen to paper. And I started writing Christopher Roush, da, 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 dad, da, 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 da. And I put the pen down. I did a whole eight and a half by 11 piece of paper. I went to my kitchen, got a glass of water, came back to my office and I sat down and I looked at the words and I almost literally was just like going to toss it to the side. I'm like, okay, I got other things I got to do. But I sat there and I picked up the notepad. I still remember it like yesterday. And I started and I started reading it and I read like the first, I don't know, seven words. And I went, wait, 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 if this is my eulogy. I'm going to give it the full dramatic effect and I'm going to read this out loud. And so I started reading it out loud and I was like, okay, halfway down the page, Randy, not no shit, but tears coming down of my, out of my eyes. Cause I literally got to the point where I said, Christopher Roush will have fought for what's right and what's fair. He will have risked for what's that mattered. And he will have left the earth a better place for who he was and what he did. And I had a couple more things, but I literally had just tear. I wasn't like bawling, but I just had tears coming out of my eyes. And I sat back and I thought, why am I crying? And it ultimately connected for me. It's like, this is your why, Chris. This is your why. You've been searching for your why and you've been masking your pain and masking your resentment towards your mother and everything else. Your why is this. So every day you get to wake up and do these things. And that was like my North Star. Do you have something similar, like a, like a similar story for you that really cemented for you what your why is in the world? What an amazing and powerful story. Have you used that exercise in your coaching? With oh, yeah. All, all my coach, all my clients write their eulogy. They hate it. They hate it. They hate it. But then I tell them the follow up to that is when you wake up in the morning, this is something else I do. First thing when I wake up before my eyes open, I say what I'm grateful for because I wake up sometimes with anxiety. I still struggle with anxiety, sometimes borderline depression. I don't know where it comes from, but I deal with it and I've got my tools and my resources to get myself out of it. I tend to think a lot. And when I think a lot, I tend to get into that cycle of insanity. So I have to stop myself. So when I first wake up in the morning, I figure all the successful people in the world have like a ritual that they, that they do. I mean, Robin Sharma wrote the book, um, the 5am club. And that really kind of like got me researching what does successful people do when they wake up in the morning. So for me, it's gratitude. It only takes me 30 seconds, a minute, maybe. Then I started implementing something else about three years ago. I started setting the intention for the day. So when I wake up in the morning, like my intention is to first and more foremost, be present and playful with my son. I have a six-year-old son. Um, to use my words and my actions to make the world a better place for who I am and what I do, which is part of my eulogy. Um, and then I just start going from there. My intention today is to, to, to write more in the book. My intention today is to have great coaching calls with my clients. My intention today is to have an awesome show with Randy. Um, and so I set those intentions and that's what ultimately kind of helped me bridge that gap so that when I'm having those down moments throughout the day, I ask myself, did I set the intention to be in this mood today? No, I didn't. Okay. What intention did I set for today that I've not yet accomplished? And then I direct redirect myself to that task. And then ultimately we get that endorphin release, serotonin, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. That starts to get released and you start feeling better. Was there any type of moment for you like that? And thank you again. Yes. Yeah, so, um, one that comes to mind is I was, thinking about, um, I, I was sitting down and writing this thing for a, um, it was a, a, a talk that I was asked to do and I didn't know what I was going to do. Right. I was like, I, I could, I mean, you know, right. You, you oh, yeah. eat, sleep, breathe this. I, there's a million things that I could talk about. And I just said, 
I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask my intuition to guide me here. And I closed my eyes and I asked. And I wasn't as uh, efficient at doing this back then. And I just waited and waited and nothing came. It was blank. It was blank. And then all of a sudden I saw, I saw a, a bunch of people and they were not necessarily connected. They were just, you know, someone was walking there and someone was flying there and it was really a bird's eye view. And I saw these, these spider webs, the best, you know, thing I can, I, best description for this is I saw these spider webs and a spray bottle and just spraying this spray bottle and seeing all these beads of water on these spider webs. And suddenly these people that otherwise seemed disconnected were connected. And there was this beautiful design. And I saw this and then I, I said, okay, what that was cool. What does that mean? Is it? And as I started writing, I saw very clearly that there are all these invisible webs of energy, of connection that exist between all of us. Yes. And most of the time, I'm not aware of that, at least back then. But if I just take my spray bottle, which let's insert a moment of presence, right? Sure. I'm gonna, like you said, intention. I'm going right. to be really, so before each client, I'm going to bring my full self into this. I am going to show up with service. Please guide me and let them be guided and let me help them for their highest good for, you know, so they can get what they want and need, right? Something like that. So I will, I will set an intention and I'll be as present as possible. And for me, that is the spraying of the web. So my big why is to help make those webs visible because i think that when people can see how we're connected when they can see that the the daily small tiny actions that yes. they take how that ripple effect can have such a huge impact and it doesn't have to be grandiose it can just be a thought that you have about someone. It could be one action. It could be a smile on the street that that starts to spray those webs. And then you could see this beautiful design. If I can just hold that daily to the best of my ability, that's my why. Dude, that's beautiful. If you had not written that down or done that as a blog post, that would be a beautiful analogy. I think that's great. I, I have it. Well, thanks to your question. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. It's it's written. It's recorded here, so you can make sure you get that. Um, Jock says here he goes. My eulogy, Jock. What is it? What did it say? Where did, it, where did it go? Jane, he saw. Um, he sewed. Had a dram and went back home. Done. Yeah. Yep. He's from Scotland. So he's a uh, Walter. <laughs> Walter digs that. Um, Tara says here, Bravo intuition is your greatest compass as well. She, she, uh, fully absorbs that and, and displays that Walt says we owe it to the clients, trusting us to be fully present hundred percent. Um, Mary Kay's with her in sticky notes. I must've missed something. Um, uh, Mary Kay. Oh, listen, Lynn shared it out. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Debbie says here, Randy, great, honest interview. This is refreshing. Thank you for being there and saying that Debbie. Um, Walter says, uh, vulnerability is the ultimate flex of strength. We need emotional intelligence taught in school way more than trigonometry. Amen, agreed. brother. Agreed, agreed. Thank you guys all for being here and, and sharing these beautiful questions. Um, when I think about working with clients, Randy, and, and as a fellow coach, I love asking these questions. You know, a lot of clients come to us and they're fearful. They're fearful of rejection. They're fearful of failure. They're feel fearful of success and they may not know it. Talk to us about that. How do we walk people out of that that predetermined, that predestined fear that they have in their brain that isn't even isn't even materialized yet? Um, I tell people that ninety eight percent of all fears in our brain are never going to happen. How do we rewire our brains to not see things as fear? But and, and what I teach my clients is to see it as excitement because I give people this example. Like I bet was it Magic Mountain, uh, probably ten or fifteen years ago. By now, my son's six, so I have to think about was it before Jackson or after Jackson? It's like before Jesus or after Jesus. Um, I was standing in line at, at Six Flags Magic Mountain here in Southern California for the ride of Colossus, the big roller coaster, and I'll never forget this. Uh, the people right in front of me, there was like a group of, I don't know, four or five kids. And they were just like, oh my God, this is going to be so exciting. We got to put our hands up in the air and like, oh my God, look how tall that is. That thing's going fast. They were all super excited. Literally not the people right behind me, but the people behind me 
we're talking about like, and I could hear the lady, she goes, Oh my God, that's really tall. And that, that looks scary. And you know, what if the, what if the thing breaks and what if this, and what if this, and like two different conversations happening within my earshot, one was excited and one was afraid, but I felt like it was the same thing. Talk to us about how we can rewire fears in people's minds so that they actually go out there and really truly live their life as opposed to just existing in it. Yeah. Okay. So fear, I think there's many different ways, obviously. One is put it into scale. Okay. So uh, something that I've done is not with everyone because you have to be careful. But one of the things I've done is actually play it out. Because I think the anticipation and the idea of something is, well, what if I go up on stage and I bomb? Or what if, what if, what if? And actually playing out, okay, what if? And then that happens. And, and then what? Like you go on this roller coaster and it's really, really, really tall and you hang on. And then what if, and, and then what if something breaks and then what would happen? And then I could, you know, be in peril and fall off. And then what? And then I would die. And yeah, that'd be terrible. And then what? And then, and I know it's not even mm -hmm. logical, but the brain starts to spin and go, oh, oh, uh, and then I die. And then actually there's this resolve. This, this right. moment of peace of, oh, okay, I've played out the worst case scenarios. And then I guess I'm not here and that would be terrible, but it takes the anticipation energy of it and brings it down. Yeah. And that's one way. Another way I used to do this with clients a lot is we would go into visualization and, you know, we would uh, create the picture of having a meal or having tea or something, right? And then uh, they would describe it really clear. So once they're describing it, that means that they're actually seeing it. They're, they're actually in this picture. And then there's a, a, a big gigantic chair and, and whatever they are fearful of. But what they're fearful of is a tiny little child. Or I remember growing up watching Sesame Street and there was this one skit where, you know, there were these oversized chairs and this little person with feet dangling on the chair looking at their fear as this this little child or this little person so when you do that you are the adult looking at this little child who's frightened who yeah. needs something and doing this separates them from this aspect that is fearful could even be an aspect of them they get to conversate with them, but now their brain is seeing fear in this personified being, this person, small. And they're more likely just how if you were talking to your son, right? Or you were talking to a small child, you wouldn't try and push it away. You would listen and then you would say, hey, come here. Let, let, it's going to be okay have some tea, have a snack, let's go outside and play. And when they were able to do that, it seemed as though the fear would really dissipate and they were able to uh, do the thing that they were fearful of because they had this, it's not just this one moment, but they had a vehicle, a mechanism in which to work with the fear as it came up around a certain subject. Beautiful. I love that. It's, I mean, it's, it really conjures up a picture of what it is that we can do in our mind's eye because I teach people about the power of visualization like you're talking about because I ask people like, you know, have you had a bad dream? And of course, everybody says yes. I'm like, well, what happened? Nine times out of 10, they'll say, oh my God, I woke up and my heart was racing and I was sweating. And I'm like, so what did you feel? Like, I felt like it happened. I said, did it happen? And they said, no. And I said, that's the power of the mind because the mind doesn't know real reality versus perceived reality. So the same way that you have a bad dream and you condition your body to have that response, you can do the same exact thing for positive things in your life as well. Mm -hmm. So I teach my clients to have that visualization. Like, okay, there's one way of seeing it. Like you were saying, outline it. Okay. You see it going bad, but at the same time you see it going bad, you see yourself going, Oh, okay. I knew this was going to happen. Now you see yourself calm and, and responding, not reacting to the situation, not getting emotional, but sitting there saying, okay, what are my options at this point?
you know, if you're having a tough conversation with somebody, I walk people through so many challenging conversations, you know, coming out gay or getting a divorce or losing a job or whatever. I'm like, see in your mind's eye that, you know, when that situation, that person starts to react, you're going to sit there and stay still and respond. Hey, I can see this is upsetting you. Let's come back to this when you're feeling better, as opposed to getting escalating that because what happens, we defend each other and we go on and on in that respect. So I tell people like the power of visualization and what they can do in their mind's eye before they actually do it can kind of set that, 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 that path to have that deja vu experience almost like, okay, I've seen it bad, but I've also seen it really good. And what's the likelihood it's going to turn out good versus bad. And what happens if it, that is no longer a, 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 on the table anymore? What opportunities do you have to go pursue other things that you might be afraid of? Right? Yeah. And it's, I, I love what you said. And something really powerful in there is we spend so much time. What ifing? Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, yep. I, I, just as human beings, we spend so much time what ifing about usually the negative. What could go wrong? What if this doesn't happen? What if it doesn't turn out this way? And then we're using this technology that we have to play it out and to spend minutes, if not longer, playing out this, the same scenario that we don't want to have happen. I, I often tell people so do that asking yourself and what if it works out better than i imagine and and, and it's so hard for people it th this is used to be so hard for me to do is i could say this to myself i could catch myself okay i'm what ifing negatively i don't want that to 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 happen what if it works out better than i thought but my mind couldn't go there chris i like it couldn't mm -hmm. build that because it didn't have the neural network and pathways to be able to do that because it's so practice doing the other. Yep. Like you give me what <laughs> if it turns out wrong? And I'm like, I will create that world vividly. <laughs> yeah. What if it goes right? Like, uh, <laughs> and practicing that is a superpower because that will lessen and diminish what ifing and fear practicing what if it goes right like hearing a fear and then going and what if that doesn't happen at all yes yes i love that patricia says here uh it's very important to remember uh hesitation is one of the greatest crimes forget what if and just believe and to that my dear friend patricia there is my believe Patricia actually gave me, these are actually mine now. It says believe and it says no excuses coach or no excuses on the back. But Patricia back, um, geez, like 10 years ago, we were at a, an event in Los Angeles at a, this rock star marketing event and my cat was there and he was dying and it was a long story, but she came downstairs. She goes, we were downstairs hanging out in the lobby at the Sheridan Gateway Hotel. And she goes, hang on a sec, I'll be right back. And she comes back and she gives me a bracelet just exactly like this. It says, believe on it. And I never took that bracelet out of except whenever I had like surgery or like I was told to take it off. And so, yes, we definitely have to breathe. So I believe. So thank you that for that, Patricia. Amazing, Patricia. Yeah, no, she's amazing. Um, so yeah, now I, I created these bands in her honor for what she provided me because you always have to believe. And then I have a tattoo on my arm that says, what doesn't kill me only makes me stronger. But that's another story. Dude, we've already been talking for 52 minutes. Um, this has been such a great conversation. I could keep you for another couple of hours. But one of the other questions I really wanted to get from you is, you know, growing up in the, in the, in the family that you did and having your father as it was in the family life you had, now being a dad yourself, what things did you really want to change? And what type of father did you want to be? And what type of father are you today to your girls? Wow. That's a complex question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll try and um, answer succinctly. I, I There were so many amazing things about my dad. I mean, most people, when they have something to say about him, have incredibly positive things to say. He was, he was an amazing guy. He was brilliant. He was a genius. He was so kind. He was so warm. Um, and I hope that I carry that on. I hope that I pass those attributes that were shown to me, to them, because, you know, it was simple. He was working a lot, so he wasn't always there. Um, he wasn't always present, but it would just be a simple moment. You know, something would happen and I would get a little yellow sticky note on my pillow telling me that he oh. was proud of me or writing a little poem. And there were things like that, that really just made such a big impact. 
And so I hope to carry that on. Uh, one of the things that I hope is different is, uh, you know, my dad was older. He was, I believe he was 58 when he had me. And, you know, he had his, he had his lane. He had his, his life. He was creating television programs and that was what he did. Right. Veer very much from that. He, he really, that, that was everything for him. So, uh, you know, I, I wish that he was maybe a little bit more attentive and into some of the things that I was. Yeah. Right. Um, I think it was harder for him to see. Like, I remember when I got into music and he would do his best to listen, but he kind of just didn't understand it. It wasn't his wheelhouse. And I, I really want that to be different. I want to really hear my daughter's interests and what's going on for them and to participate in that how I can. I may yeah. not be the best. I might be clumsy if they do an activity <laughs> that I can't do, but I want to be able to try. And so I have, you know, I have an 11 and nine, almost 10 year old. I, it's important for me to have adventures with them. And if they yeah. want to roller skate, I'll try and go out and do that with them. Or if they want <laughs> to, you know, I, I'm at the, I'm in Portland, Oregon and, we were at the Oregon coast and they really wanted to go in the ocean. It was freezing in <laughs> winter. And I, you know, I grew up polar in plunge, uh, polar plunge, <laughs> right? I grew up in Southern California and I was like, I'm not going in that ocean, but they really wanted to do it. So we got wetsuits and boogie boards and we went out there and just did that because that's what they were interested in. So that's important to me. Dude, that's beautiful. I love that. Being present and playful with your kids. There's no other exchange. I, I never really wanted to be a dad. I'm 54 and my son's six. We adopted him from birth. And all my life, I was like, I don't know if I want to be a dad. You know, I saw what happened in the cycle of insanity and the abuse that I endured, you know, from my mother. And then ultimately the planets aligned and, and we adopted my son. We weren't able to have kids naturally. We tried IVF and that didn't work. But, you know, just looking in his eyes and realizing that he's only going to be this young for so long and yes. just being really committed to everything he's doing and saying and getting on his level. You know, I have been the dad that I wish I would have always had. And I pride myself on that. I can see you, you feel the same way. So I think that's beautiful, dude. Okay. Um, so let me ask you a question. Absolutely. I think it's the greatest therapy in the world. One of, tell me if you agree, being able to slow everything down, enough to bend down to a child's level, really look in their eyes. I mean, really take them in, scan their face, get, you know, use all your senses and be so present that you are playing with them in the way that they want to play and going into their world. Does that because I remember doing that and remember that there could be a lot of other bad things going on or stressful moments. But when you can do that, it's like the ultimate presence practice that there's just connects you to life itself in that moment. What you're, I mean, what you're saying, dude, is, is, is perfectly said. Same thing here. I mean, I always get on his level, but it literally feels like time stops. Like, yes. like, like as soon as, as soon as this interview is done and we talk afterwards, like I'll sit here for a few minutes and I'll kind of decompress. I'm like, okay, that was a great conversation. Da, da, da. And before I walk out the door, I'm not walking out the door as Chris, the podcaster or Chris, the, the coach or Chris, the speaker or anything else. I walk out and I'm like, okay, my son's going to expect dad. And so yeah. I put myself in that frame of mind that if he wants to play, there was this one time you we were talking about the ocean. It's funny. We have so many similarities. We were at the ocean and I love the beach. We come down, we go down to Huntington beach. And uh, my son was playing in the sand. He got sand in his eyes and sand everywhere. And I'm, I love the beach, but I really don't like getting sandy. And I was sitting there and he's like playing in the sand. He's like, come on, dad, play with me. And so I was sitting in my chair kind of half-assed playing. And to your point, Randy, I was like, and, and I heard this from uh, not Jack Canfield, but I heard it from uh, Brian, it was somebody. And he was talking about, you know, when you're in the moment with somebody, ask yourself this, am I being in this particular instance, am I being the dad that I would want if I were five years old? Yes or no? No. Okay. So what can I do? Fuck the sand, Chris, get in the sand, get in the sand, be a five-year-old again, have that childhood that perhaps you didn't really necessarily have. And his face, you know, he was being, he was being cool. But once I got on his, his level, we started playing with sand and throwing sand and everything. His face just lit up. 
And so to your point, that is so, so true. Like we play Legos, we play anything. I'm on the floor with them. I have a bad back and my muscles hurt, but I'll get on there and I'll do whatever it takes to be on his level, to have that connection with them. And you're right. You know, everything else becomes like stupid, literally stupid. It's like, okay, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about this. All I have right here is the moments. And that's probably one of the biggest lessons I've learned in being a parent mm -hmm. is the fact that everything else is how important is it being in the moment, being present. Cause so oftentimes, like I used to be pontificating about the past. How could I have done something better? Or, oh God, I screwed that up. Or I was constantly in the future plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Like because of my situation, my beautiful coach, Sally Anderson said, Chris, you got to get out of the survivor mode. You're in survivor mode. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I have two houses. I've got a 69 charger downstairs. I'm not in survivor mode. She goes, yeah, you do. Cause you always have to have plans figured out in case something doesn't go right. Why don't you just trust and be in the moment? And that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned with Jackson and everything else. It's like, Chris, you could, you could die of a heart attack tomorrow. Enjoy everything right now. Enjoy this as though your last day. And it's, it's not always perfect, but man, does it center me so much better now? It's crazy. So much better. It I is. love it. Dude, this has been an awesome conversation. I want to invite you back here, but uh, for the purpose of uh, everybody getting a hold of you, where can people get a hold of you, man, and continue the conversation? Sure. Yeah. My website, randyspelling.com. Uh, I'm really active on Instagram. It's Randy Spelling. And um, I would love to come back anytime, Chris. It's great to chat with you. I appreciate you. Oh, dude, this has been awesome. And I knew it was going to be spectacular. And I definitely wanted to make an experience for you that was unlike any other experiences as far as being interviewed, because I know how that goes. Um, I appreciate so that. Oh yeah. No worries. No worries, Excellent. man. I'm going to put you, I'm going to put you backstage for a second. I'm going to close out the show, but don't go anywhere. Cause I still want to have a chat with you. Okay, cool. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. There you go. Um, Stephanie says here, I love that Chris get in the sand. Amen. Or, uh, Walt, Walt says here, amen to that. Be the change you want to see. Uh, Walt also sends here and thank you guys all so much for your comments tonight. It's been beautiful. Uh, Walt says I spent years on the floor with the kids when they were little, even young, even as young women, they remember the games we used to play incredible memories with them. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Jacqueline says here, where, where to go? Everybody's have so many comments. Jacqueline says here, thank you, Randy, for all your wisdom. Tara Murney, my beautiful sister from another mistress says, thank you for your time and beautiful shares. Patricia says, we wonderful, very wonderful interview. Thank you, my dear. I appreciate you. Uh, Catherine Young says, amazing conversation. Thank you, Catherine, for being here. Um, just a tremendous uh, opportunity tonight. But ultimately, we got Anya in the house. What's up, Anya? Thank you for being here. Uh, Walt says here, quality, quality over quantity every single time, 100%. And I wanted to catch this. Uh, oh, yeah, we caught that one. Thank you for that. And uh, Tara says here, yes, uh, what ifs and the shoulds uh, and the have tos, 100%. Um, so here's what I want you guys to take from this conversation tonight. You know, Randy and I talked about a lot of different mindset uh, principles and some te techniques for you to rewire your perspective and your expectations. Take this opportunity to, uh, once the show's over and just take a pen of paper and, and just write down some of the, the strategies that you heard today or some of the things that you want to explore a little bit more and keep that on your mind's eye of what it is that you want to pursue in your growth process. Because every single day you should be looking at how can I grow in this particular area and have your mindset on like Randy eloquently said that we talk about here on the show all the time, the needle movers, what's going to be the next needle mover by which accomplishing is going to offer me the greatest satisfaction that I leave a legacy that I'll be proud of. That's what I think about every single day is if this is the last thing I ever do, God forbid that my son can go in here and watch this. and like, was dad on point? Was he being congruent? Was he in line with his values and the things that he was here to do hundred percent. And that's what I do in every action that I take is really being intentional. And I want you guys to be intentional. Did you come to this planet and come to this, this existence as a human being to be mediocre? Did you come here to be complacent? Did you come here to, to, to exist in life or to live in life? So you can ask yourself those probing questions and then ultimately answer yourself honestly and take action from those answers. And it's not going to be easy guys. And I get this all the time. Well, Chris, it's going to be hard. Of course it's going to be hard. That's why you, people get what they get from doing things that they haven't done because they have never, let me try to say that again. B people do the things that they haven't done to get the things they haven't got. God, I said it right. Sometimes I screw that one up too. I think I have dyslexia on, on some, some sort of quotes or anything, but you get my point. So think about this as we up level in our lives, we create better relationships, better connections, better self-love for ourselves. What does that do to the world? What does that do to the world? less anger, less hostility, less finger pointing, less blaming, more ownership, more being in the moment, more getting right with yourself and your values and integrity and being congruent. 
just imagine what kind of world we can have and then ultimately leave this world to our kids and our kids' kids. And that's my whole thing right now. The adults in life, sure, I'm going to coach you guys and take care of you, but the kids need us. The kids need us. We need to address our mental health situations. That's one reason why I've become so passionate about men's mental health. God's honest truth. Women are mostly my coaching clients. I get along with women better. I'm not a guy's guy, but all of us have to step up in what we're passionate about to make a difference in this world. So that our kids inherit a beautiful place that they're proud to inherit instead of looking at us and going, geez, dad, you left me a can of shit that I got to deal with. So go out there, be brilliant. If you're watching this show and you didn't catch the first part of it, please go back there and check it out. It's been a brilliant conversation. Connect with Randy. Let him know what specifically you liked about this interview and the discussion. Go check out his coaching. Go check out his blogs. Go check him out on Instagram. Connect with him. He's a beautiful human being. And we will be back here, of course, next Tuesday night, as always, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Put it on your calendar. And one of the things you guys asked me when I was asking for feedback on how I can make the show better, you said you want to know who's coming up next week. So next week we have Dr. Kasturi Henry. We call her Dr. Cass. Uh, man, she can talk about a ball buster. She is straightforward, no bullshit, and she's going to rock your mindset. So come back here again next Saturday. Tuesday. I've got so many shows in my head next Tuesday, 7 PM Pacific standard time. And of course you can follow the shows. You can go to no excuses, coach.com. You can go over to the podcast page. You can find the subscription to Apple iTunes or Spotify or iHeart or wherever you want to take it. And also check out my other show, the unfiltered experience, which happens on Friday nights. And this Friday, Scott's not going to be there. So I have a special co-host, special co-host on the unfiltered experience. Go be brilliant guys. I love and appreciate you guys. And we'll see you next time on the Ron and scripted show. Be brilliant.